0: Greetings Retreat Church. Grab your Bibles again please and turn to uh, Acts chapter 6 as we continue to move through this wonderful history of God's people and the birth of the church and um, looking at many, many brilliant examples of what it means to be a Christian in times of persecution, in times of hardship and trial, and specifically um, thriving under that. And I heard this week someone say somewhere, I don't remember where they said it, Heard someone say that they're not surviving, they're thriving Don't know who coined that, thought it was brilliant, and uh, I just want to say that I'm praying for each one of you, and as you um, watch this weekend online, I pray that the Lord finds you sir-thriving. And um, as we look at this passage, something, a thought that kept coming to my mind as I read about Stephen in Acts chapter 6, and I started thinking about the many Stevens that are present in today's culture, many Stevens that are standing up, rightfully so, for the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the truth that Jesus is the resurrected Lord and Savior, that He is the Son of God, that He is God Himself, and all of you wonderful people out there that continue just to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ in this world where it seems to be focused on so many other things, and really I wish that we can bring those things kind of together that we as Christian people would be able to not be separated from the cultural issues Um, but yet not engage in them in a way that is counterproductive to the gospel, nor engage in them in a way that is absent absent of the the real solution to the real problem. I I pray that as you participate in today's culture and you share your perspectives and you um, discuss your ideas and even maybe disagree with people today, I pray that you are doing so from a point of a biblical worldview, that you are taking in the information that is available to you, and you're filtering that through the lens that is the Bible. And I pray that as you speak, as you speak to out to the world from your various places and your various circles, that you're speaking through the microphone of a biblical worldview. I pray that that is, is where, how you're viewing and how you're speaking from a biblical Worldview, and um, when we think about this section of scripture, we think about the temptation to join the noise. Think about that for a moment. The temptation to join the noise, and I've just made a personal decision, based upon my understanding of the scriptures, that I'm going to withstand the temptation to join the meaningless rhetoric and political polarization that is so very evident and so very present in so many places in our world. And I know that I'm a, I'm a man that has opinions, I'm a man that has thoughts, and the temptation to simply join that noise is, is, is basically, for me, it, it's from a place of my own flesh, it's from a place of maybe being a bit angry at certain things or frustrated at, a, at a certain things or confused by a place from, for some things. And so wherever I would be confused, wherever I would be angry, wherever I would be bitter, wherever I would tempt to tempt, be tempted to speak out, in a way that is unchristlike i'm praying that the lord would just silence that in my own heart because i do not want to be part of the the noise of meaningless rhetoric and political polarization that is Distracting many Christians derailing many Christians, um, causing many Christians I think to lose their credibility as spokesmen for the gospel of Christ and I want to speak again as I did last week to those of us that are following Jesus and for those of us those of you that are listening to me today and you are not a follower of Jesus first of all I want to apologize to you for every unchristlike word that has come out of a mouth of a Christian um, any um, language that, it, that Jesus wouldn't speak, any language that is not from a heart of, of concern for God's people and the world that is in line with God's concern, um, anything that is outside of that that has come flying out of the mouth of Christians or been tweeted or, or blasted on social media in any way. I, as a pastor, I want to say, that I apologize for my fellow bl- brothers and sisters. We tend at times like this to um, forget who we are. We tend at times like this to forget that we are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And in my introduction here, I am not saying that you should not have an opinion about what is taking place today. You, are, you have every right to have an opinion. You have every right to speak that opinion, um, but I pray that it is from a place of a biblical worldview, and it is a place of, of love and concern, not a place of trying to win an argument or be proven to be right. I, I'm not, I don't think that Jesus is necessarily for that. And so, um, with that in mind, I, I want to talk to you today about setting a Christ like example when disputed, setting a Christ like example. When someone disputes with you, when someone disagrees with you, when somebody has an opposite opinion that you choose to have, even when somebody may sound um, totally ridiculous to you or, or, or totally um, ignorant to you, that you would still find it within your within your heart to speak out of a voice of concern and a love for them, and I think that Stephen gives us a wonderful example of that in Acts chapter six, verses eight through fifteen where we read this way. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit For we have heard him say that, these, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So again, a marvelous um, parallel to to what is taking place in many ways today in our culture. You have people in dispute over certain matters taking place. You have... um, People trying to speak out in their version of wisdom. Um, You have hopefully you have Christians speaking out with a sense of empowerment of the Holy Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You have people coming against that. In this text, we'll notice several things that are very parallel to our culture today. And um, I'm amazed when I come to places like this in the Scripture where people say the Bible is outdated, out of touch. The Bible does not apply to today's world. i got to tell you, there is no other um, evidence that more strongly points to the fact that humanity will always be at war with itself. We see the same issues, well, not the same issues, but we see the same strategies at work in this passage of Scripture that we see present in today's world. You probably picked up on them as I was reading the text. But I want to make a few applicable observations from the text that I think will help us in this search for setting a Christ-like example when we're being disputed. The first thing we notice is that in this this environment that they were in, where the church was thriving, the church was moving forward, people were coming to know Christ at alarming numbers um, to such an extent where last week we looked that the Hebrews and the Hellenists had a dispute over the fact that the Hellenist widows were not receiving the proper amount of the daily distribution that was rightfully theirs. And so we saw how they navigated through that problem and they chose certain men full of the holy spirit and of wisdom and of good reputation and they chose these men to do this ministry and stephen was one of those one of those men and as stephen was doing these great and mighty things and we see that the men much pressure from the outside of the church notice that the pressure that was inside the church was being solved by godly men Men and women who had come together for the cause of Christ, men and women who were huddled together in this position because there was so much persecution from the outside in that they had so come so tightly into this community that when they had a dispute, they were able to figure it out. They were able to move forward because they did so in a Christ like manner and in a God God honoring fashion. And so, amongst this place where there was now this renewed sense of unity and movement forward within the church, there was still pressure from outside of the church. And this was all within this culture that will, for the lack of a better way to explain it, let's talk, because this text deals with it, this this place of the Jewish culture. So you had Jewish culture, but then you had believers in Jesus and non-believers in Jesus. You have people that believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but yet a other group of people that believed that the Jewish Messiah had not come yet. And so they were at grave dispute with one another. But in in regards to this, in this setting where unity in the church but disunity from outside of the church, we see that during this time of dispute that Stephen, he stayed focused and he did, he was not disrupted from doing that which he was called to do. He remained focused on the great things that God had called him to do. Verse 8 says, as I read a moment, moment ago, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Among the people. Now when the Bible uses the word people, it's everyone. Okay? Women, men, children, children. Inside the church, outside of the church, Jewish, non Jewish, all of it, he was out there doing his good work in front of all the people. And so, very, very simply put today, as the world has all of this tension, are you continuing to do great things? In other words, as I jokingly said before, are you, sir, thriving? Are you cowering back? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you speaking out of selfishly? Or are you going out and doing some great things for the people around you? Maybe your neighbors, maybe your coworkers. Are you continuing to be that great and wonderful Christian that God has created you to be? So when in dispute, simply put, Don't get distracted. Do not enter the meaningless rhetoric and polarization of the political scene. Do not enter into that. I challenge you to stay away from that and keep doing great things for the gospel because as you do great things for the gospel, you are addressing the core issue of of the problem that we're experiencing. You are addressing the godlessness of of our culture, the godlessness of our society that has now erupted into this racial-political divide. And if you participate in the noise of it, you're just contributing to the division and the chaos. But if you would go to the source of it and keep doing the great things that God had called you to do before all this happened, you would be a contributor to the real solution. The second observation that I wish to make to you today is this. That when disputed, display the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Notice verse 9 and 10 where it says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which He was speaking. Have you ever encountered a person like that? That they are so full of the Holy Spirit that it's hard to argue with them? Have you ever been part of a person that they're so kind to you? They're so loving towards you? Even in the midst of disagreement, though they do not agree with you at all, they're on the opposite side of the equation from you, but yet they are so kind, they are so loving, They are so respectful that it's hard for you to lash out at them. It's hard for you to argue with them. That's Stephen. And also, his wisdom could not be denied. His wisdom could not be denied. I pray that God does that work in His church today. I pray that God does that work in you today. I pray that He so gives you a grace and empowerment, and His Holy Spirit is so flowing within you that those who want to argue against the cause of Christ, those that, we want, that want to reject the Bible, those that want to stand against our Christian values, that they would not have a place or a footing to stand on because you are so full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom that they simply cannot fight or argue against that. But if you enter the rhetoric and the political polarization, that foolishness can be argued against all day long. All day long. Another observation is this, moving through the text, we understand that when disputed, we can expect the instigation of lies. Oh, you didn't need me to tell you this. You, you didn't need the Bible to tell you this. You got that one figured out. You realize that when the dispute breaks out and the argument is kind of lost, the, the, the one that feels like he's losing the argument, that he has no um, more wisdom or no more evidence or nothing more to say, but he can't agree, and he can't come into partnership with, he just has to stay on the other side, and maybe you and I have kind of been there, you ever been involved in an argument, and then you know you lost, you, the, the person has convinced you, and you've discovered in your own heart, in your own mind, maybe the Holy Spirit began to work in you, and, dis, and you dis, you decided, oh my goodness, I've been wrong, but you don't want to admit it. Your pride makes you keep arguing your point even though you know your point has become invalid. Well, that's what these people were beginning to do. So the only recourse that they had was to make up something because Stephen had done nothing wrong. Stephen was right. Stephen was correct. And Stephen was continuing to do those things that he had God had called him to do. He was not derailed by the dispute. And so those that wanted to discredit him could find nothing in reality to discredit him with. So they had to make up some stories and that's exactly what they did in verses 11 through 13 it says then they secretly instigated men who said then they secretly instigated men who said we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses they're just making stuff up and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes there's a stirring isn't there Every time you go on social media and every time you watch the news, there is a stirring of the people. There's not a presentation of facts. There's not a a presentation of sound evidence. There is simply a stirring up of the people. And for the most part, so many people are just buying into being stirred up. Being stirred up. See, I don't know that we are, I don't know, I could be wrong here, maybe I need to be corrected, but I don't know that people get as excited for just good old fashioned researched evidence. I don't think people get so excited about that as much as they do rhetoric that feeds their own perspective. See, when somebody feeds your own perspective with with rhetoric, they're just hyping you up and stirring you up. They're making you more convinced in what you already believe. They're not challenging your belief. They're not asking you any questions. They're just stirring you up. And that's what is taking place in this passage. I wonder exactly how they did that. We do it. Through ways like I've said, the news, social media, getting with people. And you ever notice when there's a discussion and somebody makes a statement, and then this other one says, oh yeah, and this, and oh yeah, and this, and then oh yeah, and this, and all of a sudden everybody's all worked up. It's what's going on in the text. It's what's going on in our culture. A stirring up of the people to make you and make you anxious and afraid. A stirring up of the people. To, to make you somehow believe things that maybe you've never believed before. But is there also, let me ask you this question there's a question, but is there also a hiding of evidence? You're thinking people. You can look at the scriptures and you can look at the world. Another observation as we move into verse 14 is this, when disputed, anticipate a twisting of Jesus' words or a twisting of yours. I hate when that happens. I hate when I say something and then all of a sudden I read that I've said something else and I have not indeed. I do not appreciate those emails that I get or those texts that I get or things But well, you said, and no, I didn't. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. So a twisting of the words, and nor did Jesus say many of the things that people accused Him of saying. Notice what it says in verse 14. For we have heard Him say, in other words, those that are getting stirred up, we've heard Him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. This place is the temple is what they're talking about. That Jesus will destroy this place and will change the customs and laws Moses delivered to us. So they're coming to Stephen and saying, "We this Stephen, he keeps saying that Jesus said that Jesus is going to destroy the temple and that Jesus is going to change all the customs of Moses. Did Jesus ever say that he was going to destroy the temple? Never said that. Let me take you to the text. Luke chapter 21 verses 5 through 9 says this and while they were some were speaking of the temple how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings he said Jesus this is what he said as for these things that you see the days will come when they will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down and they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of them when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you, do not, that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say that I am he. This is the time is at hand. Go not, do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must take place and then the end will be, excuse me, but the end will not be at once. I almost misquoted Jesus. So what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say in the passage that I just read to you that he would destroy the temple? He did not. He said that the temple would be destroyed. He wasn't saying that he would destroy it. What he was referencing was what took place in A.D. 70 when Rome came down and destroyed Jerusalem and set fire to the temple. And as they set fire to the temple, which they were not supposed to do by their commanders, but they came in and set fire to the temple, and the, temple be, the, the fire became so hot that the gold within the temple melted between each stone, and each stone was pulled off of itself, and so that they can collect the gold from the temple, and Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 70. And so it wasn't that Jesus was going to destroy the temple, it was the Romans were going to destroy the temple, and Jesus was prophesying about that. And then again we see in John chapter two, verses thirteen through twenty-one, Jesus makes reference and uses the word temple here. He says in here John writes, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there, and, they, and making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for, the, for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show for doing these things? Jesus answered them. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to him, it it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? Notice verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so on two occasions, Jesus addresses the destruction of the temple. One The Romans were going to destroy the physical temple. He talked about that. Two, in John records, that he talked about the temple of his own body, that he said, go ahead, you destroyed this temple, you crucify me, and I will raise myself up on the third day. And so did Jesus talk about the destruction of the temple? Absolutely. But he never said that he was going to destroy it. But when you come all the way into Acts chapter 6 and their dispute with Stephen, they knew what Jesus meant. But yet they stirred up the people by taking Jesus' words and twisting them around. So many people that reject Jesus Christ and reject the Scriptures, reject them based on a twisting of the Bible. Based upon a misrepresentation of what Jesus was speaking. And we should expect the same. And that is more of a reason why I'm asking you today That as you are disputed with, to make sure that you are entering a dispute, addressing the root problems from a biblical worldview, rightfully understanding what is and is not said in the Scriptures. A fifth observation, we've got two more, then then we will quit. When disputed, understand that you will be observed for contradiction. Notice very simply, the first four words in the English translation of verse 15, it says and gazing at him, and gazing at him. Who was that? We learn later in the verse that it was the council members. So here he was brought brought before the council, he was therefore talked about in all of these ways that we just discussed, and then what was he doing? Sitting there. Peaceful. But what were they looking for? They were gazing at him. What was his body language going to tell us? What was his facial expressions going to tell us? Was he guilty? Was he anxious? Was he uncomfortable? Were they telling the truth about him? What's his reaction going to be? And that draws us to our last last observation. It is this. When disputed, stay calm and at peace. Notice it says at the end of verse 15, And all who sat in the council saw that his face It was like the face of an angel. At peace. At peace. Are you at peace? See, when you're lying, you're not at peace. When you're simply entering the rhetoric and the political polarization, you're angry. You're bitter. You're antagonistic. You're sarcastic. But when you're simply doing great things for God, when you're simply bringing the love of Christ into a divided culture, when you're simply bringing the grace of God into a divided culture, when you are bringing a biblical perspective to the root problem and not addressing symptoms of the problem, you can be at peace. I have found great peace in simply teaching God's Word. I have simply found peace in not trying to persuade you about my political ideas. I'm not even convinced myself of my own political ideas. Oh, I have some. Not sure if they're good or not. (laughs) Not sure if they're right. But I know that I can go here and I can relax Very well. And I can sleep at night very well. Because I know that I'm seeking God through His Word and I'm making adjustments as I go along. Where the Holy Spirit through His Word reveals to me that I need to make changes, I make changes and I apologize to the people that I've wronged. I'm not perfect. I'm not at all. But I have peace that if I am moving in an incorrect, unbiblical direction... That God loves me enough, cares about me enough, that He will His Holy Spirit will convict, convict me of my sin. And I know that I have people around me that care about me enough, that love me enough to disagree with me, and to help me see a better way to respond, to help me see a better way to live out my Christian faith, because disagreement is not hate. Because disagreement is not judgment. Disagreement is not condemnation. Disagreement, if done from a biblical perspective, for the benefit of the one being disagreed with, is a wonderful way to love. An outstanding way to love is to come to a brother and sister in Christ with Scripture and say, I love you enough to talk to you about the way that you're living and behaving. That the end destination of the way that you're behaving is a destroyed life. A life separated from God. A life separated from everything that you were intended to be, do, and have. And people in our lives love us enough. I thank God for those people in my life. I don't thank God for sarcastic people that are mean-spirited and that have their own agenda and they're just trying to get me to join with them. I'm Just stay out of that. Don't, I don't need that. But we all need people that are lovingly enough and care about us enough to redirect our paths when the current path is destructive. And so I pray that when you are disputed with, that you will be and live by this biblical example that Stephen has granted for us, And my challenge to you today is this, that you would maintain your Christian witness. No matter what you agree or disagree with or what you think about the big issues of our day, that the first thing you would think about is your own witness as a Christian. And then we together as a church, we cannot stray from our task of proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our task. That's the mandate. And we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the only, the only answer to what plagues our society today. God bless you. We pray to see you real soon on campus. In Jesus, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for so much that you've done in our world. We know, Lord, that we face many trials um, throughout the generations. Every generation of humanity has faced various trials. Um, and so, Lord, we, we are not um, some, experiencing anything new. We are not experiencing anything strange. We are experiencing exactly what our ancestors and our, and our um, grandfathers and fathers and mothers What all of them have experienced, we're experiencing chaos once again in our culture. And once again, it's an opportunity for the church to thrive. We love you. We ask that you would empower us. Give us grace and wisdom for the task. Help us to stay focused on the gospel of Jesus. Help us to love people who disagree with us. Help us to love people who dispute with us. Help us to show sound wisdom and grace and expecting that what we read in your word and what we see in our culture is what we're going to live in. And may we do so as representatives of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.